Well, good morning, Trinity Church. I got to say, you guys sound awesome this morning. Uh, would you guys just thank the worship team once again? Thank you. For those of you guys who are new, my name is Jared, and I'm the local missions and young adults pastor. And from time to time on a Sunday morning, uh, they ask for me to, to preach the word. So that's what we're going to be doing this morning. So you're going to need a Bible to do that, and you're going to need to turn to Acts chapter 16. Acts chapter 16. That's where we're going to be heading this morning. <clears throat> Let me open my Bible as well here. Acts chapter 16 is where we're at. Rick and Sharon, Jeff, Ralph, Greg, Tim, Sammy, Mark, John, Robin, John number two, Rick and Shelly, Aaron, Jake, Brian, Stephen, Mike, Dennis, Brian, Jason, Daniel, Pavel, Richard, Brian, Mike, Charles, and Chuck. You're asking who are all those people? Are they my brothers and sisters? Uh, Christmas must be really stressful for you at your household. No, these are not my brothers and sisters in that sense, but these are brothers and sisters in the Lord that for the last 20 years of my walk with Jesus, they have played a very profound role in my discipleship and me following Jesus. I have learned from these men and, and these couples uh, what it means to be a follower of Jesus and uh, how to follow him and to do that. From these people, I've learned what it means to be a worshiper, a student of scripture, to pray and to intercede on behalf of others, to do the work of an evangelist, how to be a husband, a dad, a friend, a shepherd, a teacher, a pastor, a sinner who is saved by God's glorious grace. I wanted to begin sharing all of these names because this morning we are continuing our discipleship series with a message that I've titled, Being Disciples Who Make Disciples. And if we had time and we could pass the mic around the room and you would be able to share, I hope that you'd be able to identify some of the names, maybe not as many, but one or two, or maybe a lot more of the different people that the Lord has used in your life to help you both to discover who Jesus is and how to follow him, and then also how to fulfill God's calling on your life. For some of you, it might be your family members, your moms, your dads, aunts, uncles, cousins, some of you, it might be friends, coworkers, neighbors, pastors, youth leaders, and more. And how the Lord has used them to show you, both in teaching you as well as modeling for you, what it looks like to actually be a follower of Jesus. We're told in Matthew 28 that prior to ascending to the Father, Jesus gave his church one mission. Say that with me, church, one mission mission. He gave the church one mission, one single directive and command to focus and direct our time, our talents, and our treasures. And that mission is to go into all of the world and make disciples of the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything that he has commanded. And praise God, because he says that this mission is not going to be done by ourselves, but he said that he himself will go with us and that he will be with us until the very end of the age as we do the work of being disciples 
who make disciples. So how do we do this? How do we go about the mission that Jesus has given us? Well, that's what we are going to dive into God's word this morning and explore. And here's what we're going to discover. We're going to discover uh, three truths about how discipleship happens. Three truths about how discipleship happens. Discipleship happens, as we're gonna see, through intentional relationships that are centered on the word of God and doing the work of God together. I'll say that again, that discipleship is going to be done through intentional relationships that are centered on the word of God and that we are doing the work of God together. So your Bibles should be open, hopefully, to Acts chapter 16. Before we jump into God's word, let's pray together. Father, thank you for this very wonderful time to declare your praises, to declare your worthiness, to declare your awesomeness. And now, Father, as we dive into your word, I pray that your Holy Spirit will instruct us. Father, I thank you for Trinity Church, that this church for 40 plus years has this amazing legacy of being disciples of Jesus, who take seriously the call and the command to go and to make more disciples who then in turn make more disciples. And so Father, my prayer is that you would exhort and encourage us to continue that legacy, to continue that mission that Jesus has given to to us, that we would not do it in the strength of our own flesh. We would do it in the power of the Holy Spirit. We would do it through your word and through your leading. I pray, Father, for our time in the word that you would encourage us and strengthen us, convict us, teach us, Lord, as we go out of here to be disciples who make disciples. In Jesus' name we pray, amen, amen. Acts chapter 16, we'll read verses one through five. It says that Paul went on to Derbe and Lystra where there was a disciple named Timothy, the son of a believing Jewish woman, but his father was Greek. The brothers and sisters at Lystra and Iconium spoke highly of him, speaking of Timothy, and Paul wanted Timothy to go with him. So he took him and circumcised him because of the Jews who were in those places, since they all knew that his father was a Greek. As they traveled through the towns, they delivered the decisions reached by the apostles and elders at Jerusalem for the people to observe. That's speaking about an event that was in the prior chapter in chapter 15. So, verse 5 the churches were strengthened in the faith and they grew daily in numbers. In our passage this morning, we read that the Apostle Paul along with Silas were traveling to the cities of Derbe and Lystra. This would be uh, equivalent to basically modern day Turkey today. And they were doing so to really revisit the churches that Paul had previously planted during his first missionary journey. They were going there to make sure that the young Christians, these new followers in the faith, were continuing in the faith as well as to strengthen them in their walks with the Lord. We're told that while they were there, Paul hears about and he meets this young disciple named Timothy. We don't know how old he is. He was a young person, a young man. We know that from other passages of scripture, but we don't know the exact age, but Regardless of how old he was, as a young man, we're told that he had a good reputation among the Christian community there. We're told that his mom, uh, Lois, was a believing Jewish woman and his father uh, was Greek. In other words, he probably was not uh, a believer. 
According to 2 Timothy 1, Timothy's mom and grandmother, Eunice, actually came to faith before Timothy did, sometime uh, before him, probably during Paul's first missionary journey there. And then sometime later, uh, Timothy followed in his grandmother and mother's footsteps, and he too put his faith in Jesus and started following him. So by the time Paul meets Timothy in Acts chapter 16. Timothy is already a follower of Jesus. He's already a follower of Jesus. And Paul decides for one reason or another that he wanted to take Timothy along with him and Silas as they continued the work of God in spreading the gospel and strengthening churches. It's from here in Acts chapter 16 that this beautiful picture and model of a discipleship relationship begins between Paul and Timothy. This relationship would culminate where Paul would continuously say of Timothy that he is like a son in the faith to him. That's how deep and how rich of a relationship uh, would be cultivated between Paul and Timothy. So it's here that this discipleship relationship begins, and it's also from here, I believe, that we as a church that we learn an important principle about how we are to effectively go about making disciples, and it's this, that we make disciples by intentionally investing in others. Let me say that again, that we make disciples by intentionally investing in others. When I say that we make disciples by intentionally investing in others, what I mean is that we are purposeful and deliberate and inviting others into our lives, investing in them spiritually, pouring into them, both teaching them and modeling for them what it means to follow Jesus and serving together in the work and mission of God. For Timothy, for Timothy, Paul was not the first person to pour into him spiritually. As I said, it was actually his grandmother Eunice and his mother Lois. How do we know that? Well, 2 Timothy 3.15 says this, Paul writing to Timothy. He says, Timothy, you know that from infancy you have known the sacred scriptures which are able to give you wisdom for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. Even before Paul had met Timothy and started discipling him, we're told that as an infant, these dear women, his grandmother and mother, were teaching him the sacred scriptures, or what we would say today is the Old Testament. It was through these scriptures that Timothy would hear and be taught about the coming Messiah, and then sometime later, Timothy would hear the good news that not only the Messiah was coming, but that he had arrived in the person and in the work of Jesus Christ. Ultimately, Timothy would respond to this message and he would put his faith in Jesus and start following him. I think there's a really important observation and point of application we can learn from this pouring out that grandma and mom did in Timothy's life and it's this, is that parents, parents, any parents in here? Raise your hands, parents. Let's go, okay. Parents, especially you men, you dads, there is a powerful word and reminder for you, one that I cannot overstate enough. Your children, your kiddos, need to be the first priority of where you intentionally invest in discipleship. If you are young parents in here, 
and they're still living at home, and they're still under your watch, your care, your provision, your protection, you need to be intentionally investing in discipling your kids. And the reason why I say that is because the reality is, parents, and you guys know this, is that your kids are being discipled. They are being taught. It is not a matter of if they are being discipled, it's a matter of who and what is discipling them. If you think that one hour of church on a Sunday or one hour of youth group on a Tuesday or a Wednesday is gonna be good enough to drown out the voices that culture and social media in the world is shouting at them, then you're wrong. Parents, your kids need you to intentionally disciple them, to be purposeful in it and pouring into them. Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 6, and Deuteronomy 11, 18 through 19 are a great reminder to this. Listen to this. It says in Deuteronomy 11, 18 through 19, that the word of God needs to be on the hearts and the minds and the frontlets on the hands of the parents. In other words, parents need the word of God first on their hearts, their mind, directing their lives, and then parents, we are to intentionally, diligently, and consistently teach and model the truths of scripture to our children. How do we do that? Well, it says in Deuteronomy, we do that as we wake up, as we walk about, as we go about our daily activities and way we, when we lay down. In other words, it's more than just 20 minutes of family devotions around the, the table. It's nonstop, 24-7, 365, that we are continuing to lay the foundation and build upon that foundation and pour upon that foundation the truth of who Jesus is and what he has done and his call to follow him for our children. I've been in youth and young adult ministry for nearly 20 years, and sadly, it's not uncommon for some parents to think that it's the youth pastor's job to disciple their children for them, but it's not. Biblically speaking, our youth leaders are not here to be a substitute for your discipleship parents. They are here, though, to supplement it. They are here to supplement, supplement it and while it was mom and grandma that was primarily doing this work of discipling young Timothy, dads, men, this responsibility falls upon you primarily according to scripture. Listen to Ephesians 6, 4. Fathers, fathers do not exasperate or go out of your way to frustrate your kids, your children. Instead, dads, fathers, Bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. Men, we have a high, holy calling upon our lives as dads. And that is to be the primary disciple makers among our children. I tell this all the time to our young couples, to the young men who are getting married, that they are the ones who set the spiritual temperature in the house. If they are cold and they are distant and aloof, and removed from the things of the Lord, no doubt it's gonna affect the wives and the children. If you don't want anything to do with the church and serving the Lord and praising God and, and, and worshiping him, then your kids are gonna see that and it's gonna affect them. And so dads, we need to take the lead, we need to take the charge, we need to take seriously the call to be disciple-making dads. 
If you struggle in this, because listen, my dad died when I was 16. The first person I mentioned in my list, Rick, he was the one who taught and showed and modeled for me what it means to be a disciple-making dad. So listen, dads, if you feel like you are struggling in this area, if you feel like this is an area where you're weakened or you just don't know how to do this, would you just contact one of the pastors here? Contact me, contact Bill, contact Paul, contact Pastor Steve. We'd love to come alongside you and connect you with some resources and some men who are doing this really well for this important task and calling. So first, we see Timothy. We see him being discipled by grandma and mom before he met Paul, and now in chapter 16, we see Paul seeking to invest even further into him as he invites him along for a second missionary journey. By inviting Timothy to accompany him, Paul was essentially inviting Timothy into his own very life where he would get a front row seat into how Paul lived, how Paul walked in relationship with Jesus, and how Paul did ministry as an apostle. This is how Paul would disciple and train young Timothy, and it's also how Jesus himself, our Lord and Savior, discipled the 12 apostles. Listen to Mark chapter three, verses 13 through 15. We're told that Jesus, he went up on the mountain and he summoned those he wanted and they came to him. He appointed the 12, whom he also named apostles, notice this, to be with him, to be with him, and then to send them out to preach and to have authority to drive out demons. For both our savior and the apostle, Discipleship happened in the context of intentional relationships. Discipleship happened in the context of intentional relationships. And listen, it's the same thing for us today. Trinity Church, we have an amazing history and legacy of being a church that is intentional in relationships with people so that we could impart to them the truths of scripture and model for them how people are to follow Jesus, whether they are first starting out, whether they're baby Christians, or they're just struggling in their walk for the Lord. We have this amazing 40 plus year history of doing this. And in this season, and moving on for the future, we wanna continue uh, with this legacy, to continue to build on it, to strengthen it, to fortify it, and to continue being a church that is known for being disciples who make disciples through intentional relationships. We must continue to be willing to go out of our way to spend time with people, to let them into our lives, to let them into our homes, inviting people to grab a cup of coffee, letting them see us in our ups and our downs, our failures and mistakes. I think of how when Jesus, when he was discipling the 12, how they would see him in times of great joy, in times of great uh, agony as he prayed in the garden, they would see him suffering, they would see him get mocked, they would see him be uh, accused of even being uh, demonically empowered by Satan himself. They got to see firsthand Jesus and how he did life and ministry and connection with the Father and we need to do the same too. We need to be willing to invite people into our lives to celebrate both life's joys and disappointments. And by doing so, as I said, they will witness firsthand not only what it looks like to follow Jesus from someone who's been doing it longer, not perfectly, by the way, because none of us 
follow Jesus perfectly, but long enough to import, impart, excuse me, to impart some truth and wisdom as we point them towards Jesus and his word. Think about the people who did that for you. Whether they invited you for a cup of coffee, they invited you into a small group, or even they invited you here on a Sunday morning. They were willing to intentionally invest and to bring you along. When I think about this kind of discipleship, I can't help but to think about our IFC ministry. IFC, for those of you who don't know what that ministry is, it stands for International Friendship Connection. Uh, this ministry has host families that invite international students into their homes for meals and holidays, family trips, beach trips, Bible studies on Friday nights with the Fishers, and so much more. As this is, as this is happening, these international students, they hear the gospel being proclaimed, they are seeing it lived out, they are believing it, and disciples are both being made and strengthened. So listen, if we're gonna make disciples, we have to do so intentionally through the relationships that we've been given and have. The second point is how do we go about making disciples? Well, we go about making disciples through the preaching and teaching of God's word. That we go about making disciples through the preaching and teaching of God's word. When you survey the life of Timothy, we get introduced to him in Acts chapter 16, and he kind of disappears off the pages of scripture in Paul's last letter of 2 Timothy. But if you look at the life of Timothy and how he was discipled and equipped for ministry and leadership as a pastor, you'll notice that from beginning to end, the word of God was at the center of his spiritual formation. So too, if we are gonna be disciples that make disciples, then the word of God must be central first to our discipleship and then the discipleship of others. Turn in your Bibles with me to 2 Timothy chapter three. We'll camp out in 2 Timothy for the rest of our time this morning, but 2 Timothy three fourteen through 16. <clears throat> it says this, Paul writing to young Timothy. But as for you, Timothy, Continue in what you have learned and firmly believed. You know those who taught you, and you know that from infancy you have known the sacred scriptures which are able to give you wisdom for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. Verse 16, all scripture is inspired by God and is profitable for teaching and rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the man of God may be complete or, or mature equipped for every good work. Man, I wish we had time to just sit in this passage and to unpack it, but for the sake of time, essentially what Paul is saying to Timothy here is this. Timothy, you've been taught the sacred scriptures. You've been taught the word of God, and these scriptures that you've been taught, Timothy, since you were uh, an infant are sufficient enough to make people aware of their need for Jesus and to save them. The scriptures are enough to make people aware of Jesus and to save them and then to mature them as they follow him. So Timothy, Timothy, hold firmly to the word of God. Lay hold of it, Timothy. Don't let it go. Even though culture around you and others are departing from the word, Timothy, don't depart from the scriptures as others are doing, but keep believing them. Keep believing them, Timothy, and keep using them as the source of reaching, teaching, 
and equipping others. As we see in this passage, discipleship is birthed, sustained, and grown through a steady diet and teaching of God's word. It's the word of God that is proclaimed and taught where people encounter Jesus. They believe in him and they become complete or mature or transformed in the process. Jesus himself in Matthew 28, uh, verses 18 through 19, the passage that we often call the Great Commission passage, Jesus enforces this truth that discipleship and teaching go hand in hand. He says, go into all the world and make disciples of the nations. Listen, teaching them to obey my commands. We can't have discipleship divorced from the teaching of God's word. But here's the thing. Before we could pass the word of God along to others, it's important that we first are being shaped by it. Because here's the reality. We can't give what we don't have. We can't give what we don't have. It's been said that the best teachers are what? They're students, they're learners. And if we're gonna teach and equip people how to follow Jesus from his word, then listen, gang, we have to be continually learning as disciples ourselves. As followers of Jesus, we can never get stagnant or outgrow our need for the word of God. We can never outgrow the need for word of God in our lives. First Peter 2.2 says this, desire the pure milk of the word so that by it, you may grow up or mature in your salvation. Just as a newborn child needs the vitamins milk provides to make them strong and healthy, so too the child of God needs the word of God to make them strong and healthy. We cannot and we do not mature as followers of Christ without a constant, healthy, steady diet of his word. It is spiritual food and nourishment to our souls. And listen, we have to be in the word for ourselves first and foremost before we seek to always give it away to other people. We have to do that for ourselves first because we can't give what we don't have or don't know. But um, this is why, by the way, we place such a heavy emphasis on the word of God in everything that we do here at Trinity. One of our core values is that God's word, that the Bible is God's story given to be the authority of your life and to transform you. That's why on Sunday mornings, we preach the word. That's why on Tuesday, um, excuse me, on Wednesdays, Wednesday mornings, Wednesday nights, women study, they're preaching and teaching the word. That's why when you go into young adults on Thursdays, we preach the word. At middle school on Tuesday nights and middle school on Sunday mornings, they preach the word. And Tuesday nights for high school, the word is being taught. That's why in our small groups, we open our Bibles and we talk about the word, what we're learning because we know that it is through the word of God that we are transformed, we grow, and we mature as we get the word of God into us as much as we can. But as we get the word of God into us, we don't wanna just be recipients, we also want to be conduits, we want to give out what we take in. We want to pass it along to others, that's what discipleship is. As we saw in that Mark passage, Jesus called these disciples that they would be with him and then they would do the work of ministry, they would be taught by Jesus and then eventually they'd be commissioned and sent out by Jesus to carry along the things that he had taught them. They weren't just supposed to take it and to hoard it and keep it for themselves. And so we wanna pass along what we have been taught and discipled and trained in as well. 
Listen to what Paul says in 2 Timothy 2.2 to Timothy. He says, Timothy, what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, commit these to faithful men who will be able to teach others. Paul poured into Timothy, and now Paul is telling Timothy, you need to pour into others who are gonna be able to pour into others. It's just this constant ebb and flow, teaching people who are gonna teach people who are gonna teach people, disciples who make disciples who make disciples who make disciples. Timothy says, uh, Timothy, Paul says, you've been taught, you've been trained, you've been poured into, and Timothy, it's time for you to take those things you've been taught, pass them along to others so they can know them, they could grow by them, and they could pass it along to others. When I was younger, someone told me a great illustration that has been helpful for me in this. Maybe you've heard it, maybe it'll resonate with you, but if you guys are familiar with the geography of the land of Israel, you know that uh, the Sea of Galilee is there more in the north. And we're told that uh, the Sea of Galilee, it has water that comes down from um, the snow, the mountains, I believe it's Mount Hermon. It comes down and it goes into the Sea of Galilee and then it goes out down the Jordan River and it ends up in the Dead Sea. If you look at the Sea of Galilee, you realize it's alive and fresh, teeming with life, but the Dead Sea in South Israel is just that. It's dead. It's dead because of the salt deposits that build up there. What's the difference between these two lakes of water, if you will? Well, the difference is that the Sea of Galilee has both an inlet and an outlet. It takes in water, it dispenses water, resulting in life, while the Dead Sea has no outlet. I think this is an apt illustration meant to show that we are both to be consumers of God's word but we are also to be dispensers of it. We take it in, we give it out. We take it in, we give it out. We take it in, we give it out. Hebrews 5.12 says this, that some of you ought to be teachers by now. Some of you ought to be teachers by now. Listen, if you've been a Christian for more than a few years and you know the basics of the Christian faith, what the gospel is, who Jesus is, what he has done, I wanna challenge you to get involved in some form of teaching others what you have been taught, passing it along, if you will. Whether it's teaching in kids' ministry, becoming a small group leader for middle school, for high school, for link, becoming a small group facilitator for men's or for women's, some of you ought to be teachers by now. Some of you ought to be teachers by now, or maybe for you it's not teaching in the context of the four walls of the church building, but maybe it's teaching somebody at your work, your school, your neighborhood, and you just say, hey, would you be willing to go through the gospel of Mark or John with me? Would you be willing to go through this Christian book? I see either you're curious about the faith, open to talking about it, or maybe you're a young believer, or maybe you've been following Christ for a while and we just need to sharpen each other as brothers, uh, as brothers or sisters. We just need to sharpen each other. Let's read a chapter a week. Let's grab a cup of coffee and discuss what we've learned about Jesus and how we're to respond and live in light of what we learned. Would you be willing to do that? Would you be willing to do that? You don't need to be a theologian or a scholar. You don't need to be a theologian or a scholar. You just need to have a willing heart and spirit. And as one of my pastors used to say, God's not looking for ability, just availability. I love that. I love seeing our young adults do this. It's not uncommon for them to be having uh, studies with their coworkers, with their friends throughout the week. 
a few months ago, one of our young adults, she came to me and she said, oh, I would love to do a young adult small group. I said, great, why don't you go start one? You've been following Jesus for a while. You need to do it. You ought to be a teacher by now. You've grown up in the faith. You know the faith. You're sound in your doctrine. People will listen to you. You go start it. Go be a teacher. And so she's done just that. And every couple of weeks, the girls get together and they go through a book on following Jesus as young women. By the way, there's a great personal benefit that occurs when you teach others, and it's this. You get sharpened and you grow too. One of the best ways to grow as a Christian is to teach others because you're studying, you're reading, you're preparing uh, in the word, and you grow as a result. So two questions for you. Two points of application. Number one, are you personally being shaped and formed by a steady diet of God's word? You need more than just Sundays, by the way. I love Sundays. We should all love Sundays coming here, getting in the word together as Doug and Bill and others teach us the word. But listen, gang, we need more than just a Sunday meal. We need meals throughout the week. And if you're struggling in this, again, would you contact the church office? We'll get you some very simple uh, resources to help you to grow in the word. If you need a Bible reading plan, one that is not too daunting or overwhelming, we have great resources to get to you and also to plug you into weekly Bible studies. So that's the first question. The second one is this. Is there anyone you have a relationship with already? Somebody that would be open and available to meeting with them to start going either through the Word or a Christian book together? Whether it's a coworker, a friend, or somebody here, is there anyone that the Lord has placed in your life that you're like, you know what? I could help them in their walk with the Lord and we could sharpen each other as we go through the word together. So the word of God has to be central to our discipleship and what we're teaching others. The third and final point this morning is on how we make disciples is this, that disciples are made by doing the work of God together that disciples are made by doing the work of God together. Back in Acts chapter 16, we're told that upon meeting Timothy and hearing about his reputation, the apostle Paul felt called to take Timothy with him out into the mission field that they might serve the Lord together in kingdom work of evangelizing, planting churches, and strengthening churches. As they labored together in God's work, Timothy was taught both by Paul's words and example he was forced to put his faith into action, and he was prepared for ministry as a future pastor and a leader. As I said earlier, Paul would often refer to Timothy as a true son in the faith. But what's interesting is Timothy was not the only son in the faith. He was not the only person that he purposely poured into. Timothy was not the only one that Paul would rely upon Paul relied on many, many others to accomplish the work of God and he refers to many of these men and women, and that's important, men and women, as co-laborers in the Lord. I encourage you guys when you get a chance, look at the end of 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians, at the end of Philippians and Colossians and Romans. Look at the end of Paul's letters to see how many people how many people he refers to as co-laborers or co-workers in the work of the Lord. Paul knew, Paul knew what we often forget to our detriment in the modern church today, and it is this. 
that the work of God isn't just left up to a few elite group of Christians or pastors, but that the work of God is best done and most effective when every believer and part of the body does their part together. Let me say that, amen, yes. Let me say that again. The work of God is not just left up to a few elite Christians or pastors. Ephesians 4 says the role of a pastor is to equip the saints, you guys are saints, to equip the saints for the work of ministry, that there would be a building up of the body of Christ, that we would come to unity in the faith, and that we would grow up uh, as a body and become strong and mature as Christ followers. The work of God is best done and most effective when every believer and part of the body does their part together. I've heard it put this way, that the church is not meant to be a cruise ship where a few trained people do all the work for the rest of the people to come and to enjoy and be entertained. But the church is meant to be more like a battleship where everyone is doing their part and playing a role in the success of the mission. Every person is needed, every person is necessary, and every person is useful for the success of the mission. 1 Corinthians 12, 12 through 21. Let me just summarize it for you. Paul says there's one body but many parts, and each part of the body is important, needed, and useful to ensure its growth, health, and effectiveness. And not only is every part needed and necessary, but there is not one part that is lesser or greater than. Both are equal in terms of importance and function. Ministry and the work of God is not just for some so-called professionals. It's not for professionals, and it's not meant to be done by ourselves. It is meant to be done as a team. We are to do the work of ministry as a team, as the body of Christ, for the body of Christ, for the building up of the body of Christ, and it's for every Christian who has been called into fellowship with him. Every single one of you has a role, a purpose, and a, a, a part of this mission some of you, it's inside these four walls that we call the church building, whether it's kids ministry, it's hosting, it's greeting, it's uh, the tech team, it's the worship team, while others of you, it's taking place outside and it's being among the business world and being a light and salt among the people that you work with. But every single one of you has a part and a role to play in this mission called the Great Commission. It's not just left up to a bunch of professionals, it's for all of us to do the work of ministry together. So if you don't know where to start doing the work of God at, or who to do that alongside, because we do this together, Michael gave us a great, great opportunity called the Halloween Hoopla. That is a great place to start. By the way, if I'm recalling correctly, I believe uh, my wife could correct me later, that, that was the first place I think we ever started serving here at Trinity. Little did we know, God has a sense of humor. Moving from driving people, remember we used to drive people from the subway lot up there and back down. We used to do the caravan. How many of you guys remember that? Right? We were the, that was Uber before Uber. <laughs> and we were Ubering people. God had a sense of humor. He would take us from doing that to being here on staff. That's funny. We need several more people for the Halloween hoopla, as Michael said. We need people to decorate their cars, run game booths, set up, tear down, greet people, and so much more. So listen, if you don't have what we would call skin in the game, 
If you're like, you know what, man, I could serve for a few hours on a Saturday or just an hour or two. Would you just contact the church office? Would you go onto the, um, onto the website or even the app, look at the events coming up, the Halloween hoopla, and just register to help out? And Kim and her team really could use the help. And again, the work of God isn't just left to our kids' team. It's for all of us. By doing this, as Michael said, you will be blessed by serving and walking in those good works that have been prepared for you by Jesus. We're told that we were saved, not by good works, but for good works, to do the work of God together. And next week, Pastor Doug and Bill are gonna come back and they're gonna share a little bit more about bearing fruit through these good works. And so we're excited to have Pastor Doug back and he's gonna team teach with Pastor Bill. So Trinity Church, We make disciples, but we do it together. Each of us has a part to play in the mission, so let's go be disciples who make disciples. Amen? Amen. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you for your word this morning. Thank you, Father, that um, first and foremost for calling us. You've called us into fellowship with Christ and with you. You've called us first to receive forgiveness of sins, to be reconciled to you, to receive salvation, to receive freedom, to be taken from the kingdom of darkness and transferred to the kingdom of light. But not only that, Lord, but then you put us into your field, you put us into your your work. We get to labor alongside our dad and for our dad what, what a great privilege, what a great responsibility, what a great blessing. Father, I thank you for this church, Lord. As I said, we have an amazing past and legacy and history of being a disciple-making church. Lord, we want to fan that gift, in, fan that into flame, and, and uh, just continue to be that kind of church, Lord. We wanna be a church, Lord, that is known for being people who love Jesus, love his people, love this world, and are very committed to the one mission that Jesus gave before he ascended to be at your right hand. Thank you, Father, we don't do this alone. We thank you that Jesus is with us forever and always until the mission is accomplished and he returns. And so, Father, would you strengthen us, empower us, equip us, Above all, Lord, would you give us your heart and love for those who we seek to come alongside and point them to Jesus. It's in his name we pray, amen.